Dr. Amalia Gonyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today from the Eastern Cape is Member of Parliament and Chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on Public Works and Infrastructure, Ms. Nolita Intombongwana. Welcome to the show. Uh, good day, George. I really appreciate what you have invited me to be on And I hope that whatever we discuss today will assist and empower the ordinary women of South Africa. Ms. Intombongwana, Public infrastructure, be it buildings, roads, waterways, sewerage system, the electricity supply and other services from a social perspective really support the quality of life. But importantly, from an economic point of view, there are essential foundations. You were chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on Public Works and Infrastructure in the National Assembly of Parliament. Can you tell us more about the committee? The, the committee itself focuses on public works as the department also includes infrastructure. But other than that, public works also has its entities. Uh, you talk of e- property management, trading entity, PMTE. You talk of ITT, Independent Development Trust. You talk of Agrima SA. You talk of Construction Industry Development Board, that is CIDB and the built and the environment as we have, have included. So, but also what you have included, like your roads and your electricity, they're not part of, of the portfolio as such. But what we do as the portfolio committee to oversight the government department and monitor them, we concentrate on, in fact, that is a constitutional mandate and then the mandate uh, that were given by the parliament. We look at how the, the the department is spending its budget. We also monitor what it is doing and check and balances in whatever that is being done by the department. We also talk on issues of policy. Thank you for sharing details about some of the tasks and also your objectives in the Portfolio Committee. What would you say is your greatest challenge in this role? The, the greatest challenge is that there are other people that decide on budget, but when it comes to implementation, they don't implement the budget as they had said they would. In fact, it is also our role to check and monitor how, what they say they are going to do, are they actually doing it? But the challenge is that we only monitor. We are not the implementers, which is good. You cannot be a referee and a player. But sometimes that they would say that we are going to do ABCD. And then the people that are expected to implement, they don't do it. And then you find out the service delivered doesn't go where necessary it was supposed to go. That is a serious challenge. As you can see, there are many backlogs in South Africa. It's a big compromise if implementation doesn't come to fruition. <laughs> Because as you say, everybody is looking towards service delivery. We're all paying our taxes, and this is part of an an expectation. Yes, yes. And and remember, Doc, we we 
we have this particular department, I am making an example that is going that's going to say I'm going to do A B C D, and then this is the budget. Yes, we endorse all that because the budget is presented, and then it says after three months we'll be true with this, and then after three months nothing has started. There are implementers that were supposed to do that work. That's really a nightmare for a politician because you go to the people and say A B C D is going to be done. And people don't want stories, don't want to be told, why is it not done? They want what was to be done. So service delivery is a serious challenge in every life of a politician. Talking about life as a politician, what led you to choose a career in politics? (laughs) Um, Sometimes, Doug, you don't choose a career in politics. And and we don't view being members of parliament being a career. We say it is a deployment in which your particular party that has deployed you can put you in, can take you out at any time. So how I became a politician, um, I have been a teacher, and being a teacher, I was a member of SATU, uh, I was participating in SATU, uh, a site steward, what we call shop steward in, in other departments or factories, we say in, in, in education. And SATU is the, is the union for teachers, isn't it? Yes. Uh, South African Teachers Democratic Union, SATU. It, 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 is, it is also an affiliate of EcoSATU. But I was also a member of ANC. I was actively involved in union politics, which is which is SATU, where I was a site steward. You would fight for the rights of the educators, which I later became a, a deputy secretary in my branch. When we had, you would go door to door, and then you would hear people what they would say. This we are not happy with this. We are not happy with this. After having experienced working in those campaigns of 1999. Went back to my branch and I raised that these issues, much as I've seen them, how do we ensure that we overcome this? How do we ensure that when we go to the next elections, we sort this out as a branch before we go to the people? That's how I became actively involved. So it's not a career as such. Uh, It's a deployment. Being in the sector, although you say it's not a career, it's it's part of your your calling. It, it's part of uh, a, a movement inside you of, of seeing the plight of of people and and wanting to make change. Yes, um, it's it's an activism. Yes, I think activism is yeah, is a yeah, really yeah, appropriate yeah, word. Yeah, it's more of an activism than being a career. And in your, your activism, you've, you've spoken about the, the teaching discipline and you've spoken about being part of, of union politics, but you've also held positions in the ANC Women's League from being the Eastern Cape Provisional Secretary, um, looking at the ethics and, and members' interest, uh, being a coordinator. Can you tell us more about some of the achievements that you did whilst you were in the, the, the provincial body of the ANC Women's League? Yes, I, I once a coordinator 
for our Tambo region um, at the time, there are many issues affecting women. Um, the Women's League, it doesn't only look at the Women's League branches. Its, uh, its role is also to ensure that issues affecting women are prioritized and also it is always there to ensure that wherever there has been a woman who has been violently um, abused, the women's league is there. Whether you are a member or, or you are not a member, when I was the provincial secretary, I would go to a home where a six-year-old has been raped and killed. Members of that family are not members of the ANC, but because a child has been killed, we have to be there to be with that family, to cry with that family, to give hope to that family. We would go to court to assist our country in recent years has been badly affected by gender-based violence. And the issue of gender-based violence has escalated. You are afraid in South Africa these days. You are afraid of being a woman. Yes, and we saw last year, I think it was in, in September, there was the extraordinary sitting of, of Parliament and they put together a five-point plan to start being able to not just keep talking about gender-based violence, but look at eliminating it. Yeah, yeah. Remember, that was last year, but even before that, when women of South Africa marched to union buildings, where they passed that memorandum back in 2018. The interests of women are are clearly... On your agenda, you know, looking at it from a grassroots point of view, from ordinary households. But one question I wanted to ask you is, you're a woman in politics. I know you spoke about this as as a deployment as opposed to a, a career a choice per se. What do you think about having more women involved in the political arena about their involvement in terms of being able to help change the scenario that, that women are experiencing, whether it's gender-based violence, whether it is lack of access to, to certain resources? On that one, uh, Doc, um, I think we should agree that the ANC is much more advanced than any other parties in South Africa, political parties on that one. The issue of a minimum of 50% representation, it is the issue of the ANC which, of course, was championed by the ANC Women's League. Even now, you will find out the, the, the ANC in the parliament, it has more members who are women. But if you look at the balancing in parliament, it is not. There is no 50% minimum of women members because there are political parties in which maybe they are represented. I'm making an example. They are represented by 20 people. Out of those 20 people, only six are women. The 14 are male. Um, So we still need to change that. Uh, We are also advancing the fact that even in, in issues of boards, of HODs, your DGs, your, your whatever, it must not be a male choir. 
it must not be a male voice choir. There are so many women out there that have the necessary qualifications, but they are overlooked for their male counterparts. In fact, if you are a woman in South Africa, you have to work more harder than your male counterparts. So we still have that challenge as the Women's League to advance that women are taken seriously in South Africa. You have certainly made headway in the political spectrum, but all of the arguments that you've you've raised now in the, the private sector, uh, women are, are severely lacking in, in leadership roles. They are. They are. That, that is why I'm saying that if this can be made a law, then it would be easier to ensure that it is effected. But because now it is the voice of a certain political party. Yes, we are the ruling party of this country, but it is not yet the law. We can't enforce it that other political parties to do. You you know, there is equity in terms of employment. But you will find out it is not yet there. We don't yet have female DJs. There are very few. Hi, I'm Zonke Dikana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter, and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today, we're talking to Ms. Norita Intombogwana, who is a member of parliament and chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on Public Works and Infrastructure in the National Assembly of Parliament. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Ms. Intambanguana, this also takes into the other important dynamic in that a lot of the unpaid labor is performed by women. So what I mean by that is is looking after the home, uh, feeding the children, uh, making sure that home economics run. But that work is, is not paid. And if women are doing more of the unpaid labor, it means that they've got less time to go out into the labor force to earn an income, to rise up the ranks of their career. And sometimes I think that that needs to be addressed from a a more equitable distribution of unpaid labor between partners and and spouses in the household. A a, a typical example, Doc, is both of you are working yourself and your husband. I'm making an example. You go to work in the morning and you come back. But when you come back, you as a woman, you have to prepare dinner. You have to ensure that kids have eaten. Ensure that everything is fine before you sleep. Look at that unpaid labor. So I I, I fully agree with you. Um, in one of our NEC meetings, um, Last year, towards the end, our president, uh, uh, Ms. Batabile Zamin, raised this, that there is a lot that women are doing, which is not recognized as labor. The woman that we are saying is unemployed, that woman every morning takes her children to school. Before she takes her children to school, she prepares breakfast, and lunch packs for everyone. And then the husband goes to work, the children go to school. After that, she has to come back, ensure that the house is clean, 
put in the dirty clothes uh, in the washing machine. Do all those things. That is really unpaid labor. If we would cut, if we count the hours that woman is doing, how much would she get if she was paid? You would be CEO. In fact, we are CEOs of our own homes. That's a very good expression, CEO of yeah, our homes. You, you're, you're very right. Yeah, we are. We are CEOs of our homes. We've spoken about politics uh, in terms of, of women representation. We've spoken about how good South Africa looks from a political point of view in with regards to women in leadership. We also spoke about how the, the private sector lags behind considerably and the fact that women are, are really more engaged in unpaid labor than, than, than men and compromising their ability to, to earn a, a wage because of it. Yeah. One of the things that we've also looked at in, in the past on this radio show is some of the, the attributes that, that help women exceed and, and excel. So whether it is about introducing quota systems, Another key area is self-development. And in the self-development scenario, that's where education continually rises up as as being a a skill and resource which contributes to women empowerment and the betterment of the lives of their families. And when I looked at your profile, you hold your master's in public administration. You've got a BCom accounting degree. You were a teacher. What role would you say that education has played in your life and your career development? It has, it has played a, a serious role. Um, I'm just coming from rural areas in Kumbu, in a small village called Tumfumelwan. Um My father, late father, who passed on um, in 2004, uh, he always talked about my girl, Education will open doors for you. I think that's what he lived by. He would encourage um, us to study and study hard. Uh, so to me, education has played a serious role. At one time, I don't want to lie, I wanted to be a child accountant, and I was looking at, at, at the fact that uh, very few child accountants are women, and in fact, very few are, are, are blacks. Uh, that is why I did become accounting. I could have done it become general, but I decided to do become accounting. But um, corresponding and being a teacher, you are expecting to be at school. You are expecting to do everything, but I'm still passionate about it, and I really became so proud when I see some of the students that I've taught. But education talk to the young women out there. I still believe education will open any door for you. So I really encourage young women, ordinary women out there, even if you are a slave queen. When you are a slave queen who is educated, you are more cool than a slave queen who is not. So I really encourage young women out there to to study uh, because one thing that it does, it gives you independence. You don't become dependent to someone when you have studied, when you have education, 
as your backup. It also assists you in meeting other people who share the same sentiments with you, even those who don't share the same sentiments with you. And then you, you, you talk, it's easy for you even to communicate with other people. But um, we are living in a technological advanced world. But I think uh, we're not yet there in terms of education. You're so right. We are in the technology era. No, yeah, we're in the technological era, but we're not yet there. And we need to start changing the the traditional structures of when when you and I were in school because the world is a different place. Yeah, yeah. The world is going very fast in terms of technology, but I know that some of the schools that I was in, they still like when I was there. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. Today, we're talking to Ms. Norita Intombogwana, who is a member of parliament and chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on Public Works and Infrastructure in the National Assembly of Parliament. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Education has been a massive foundation in your life yeah. and you're, you've been utilizing the tools and particularly now when you're monitoring yeah. budgets from, from an accounting perspective. One question that I'd like to ask you now is about your personal journey. So some of the guests that we've had on our show have reached tremendous success and achievements in their respective fields. And one of the questions we ask is about what have been some of the factors that have contributed to their success? So some people speak about hard work. Others talk about perseverance, a particular person in their life. So could you please share with us what you would consider have been some of your key drivers? Uh, one one of the key drivers, hard work is always, is, and also knowing that if you fail today, tomorrow you're going to pass. Failure must not be seen as something that has to stop you moving forward. It must be seen as one of the stepping stones that moves you forward. I think ever since I started, I don't think there's any class that I repeated. But I would always encourage some of my friends that, no, you have to come back tomorrow. You have to do this class for you to move forward. You cannot say, I've failed this, then I have to stop. No. Failure must not be seen as a way. But also, that word impossible must not exist in your vocab. Because everything is possible, but it may take a lot of time. That's when perseverance comes in. If you have a vision, target, dreams, you may reach them if you work hard and persevere. So not giving up. 
and at all. if you fail today, tomorrow you will succeed. I, no, I think that's a wonderful tomorrow, expression. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. You fail today, tomorrow you're going to succeed. When you were growing up, what would you say was a pivotal moment that, that helped shape you to, to become who you are today? I'm coming from um, a family um, that also have Christian values and foundation. Um, I think that's also one of the things that shaped me uh, if you go to church, you would understand that uh, one of the things that you are taught it, it's being humble, it's being tolerant of other people's views. Uh, so I think it assisted me uh, that thing growing up. Uh, because uh, even today, we may disagree, and I can argue and argue, and argue. We, can, we may disagree, but I respect your views because when I'm at home, alone in my bed, I will think of what of the issues that were raised. And then I said, no, that person was correct in this one. That person was correct in this one. So I believe that if we can work in harmony, uh, we can take our country forward. Um, I respect those that are there in terms of leadership, uh, even in terms of the structures that they are leading, we respect them. We, we can take this country forward and we tolerate each other. But the challenge that we are faced, I think, is the issue of gender-based violence. And the issue of patriarchy that is embedded in roots in our society. Patriarchy has a, a massive impact on culture, and it's something which a lot of the women on the show have talked about as, as being an, an impediment to women's progress. Um, and, Seriously. And part of the ways that they, they look at countering this is having stronger women who've been able to affect change. In your life, who would you say have been some of the strong women, either direct influences or, or indirect influences? Uh, my mother first, yeah. She is a housewife. She has been doing that unpaid labor, bringing up five children with a husband that was working in another province, would come once in a year. That must have been so challenging growing up. Yeah, yeah. We would see our father only in June, and he would be there only for two weeks. After that, he would go back to work. So it, 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 it is hard. Uh, now that I'm old, I know it was very hard for her, but she managed to bring us up. Um, there have been many that have crossed my life, um, when I started teaching, my principal was uh, a messenger. May he rest in peace. Um, I used to say to many people that, yeah, she was very strong, firm, and would want the work now. I would say to many people, having worked with her, uh, it shaped me because I knew that uh, 
there is no way that you are, when you are at work, you would then decide, no, I cannot do this, I want to do this. You would do it whether you want it or not. To me, starting working in such an environment made me understand for whatever that you want to achieve, you have to work hard. There are no shortcuts in, in, in your success. And then there's my aunt. I used to stay with him. She was a teacher. Then I was staying with her when she was teaching. She She's one strong person. She would tell you, Melita, you are messing up now. Melita, I don't like the way you have spoken. Melita, I don't like this. In terms of politics, Mamba Tabil, she is a strong woman. Uh, she once wrote a letter, an open letter, when we were talking about the issue of, of uh, gender-based violence, and especially this issue of abuse of young women and women. She said, I quote here, this happens at workplaces, in churches, in schools, even in politics itself. Close quote. And she was correct. There, there is no space that's untouched, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, there is no space where you can say we are safe. In the bedrooms of our homes, we are not safe. You say, I am going to church to relieve stress. We are not safe. In work corridors, we are not safe. In the politics, for us who have chosen to be politicians, we are not safe because we are women. What do we need to do to, to make the world a safer place for women, given what you know now? A tough question. Because we all have answers. But uh, other than this going down, it's going up each and every day. I think a change mindset of how men view women. Um, I was speaking uh, just last year on this issue. And I was invited by um, a reverend in one of the churches um, to speak to women because he was saying that uh, I this church I came only last year, but so far I mean, three women have been raped and killed who were members of this church. Um, yeah, I went there, but the the church was full of women. And I said, we are speaking to the wrong crowd. Because these women are not perpetrators. So, a serious mindset change of men, of how they view women. But that has to start in the basic unit, which is home, of how we bring up our boys. We also have to change as women. We give them so much power, our boys. I'm talking as a parent. We need to have a change of mindset.
especially on the males of how they view women. And with the conversation we've had so far, talking about the significant role that women play in the household, that a large part of, of the social and cultural education of children is led by women. So yes. women are are bearing the brunt and, and being victims of gender-based violence. And in theory, given what we're talking about now, they, they could be the ones that could change it by how the generations are, are brought up. Yeah. You could, you could, you could change that. It, it can be changed. I, I, I believe so. Uh, of what role as mothers are we playing uh, in the issue of gender-based violence, especially in bringing up the boy child? We let the boy in the bar. No, you can hit anyone as hard as you can. We just say, no, don't do this. But we don't, we don't become harsh with them. We give them so much power. Why are we doing that? So your view is evolving a, a mindset change. It's evolving a, a socialization change. And looking seriously at the, the dynamics, the gender dynamics of, of the upbringing of children so that they can be more balanced in their perspectives and um, that we don't perpetuate gender stereotyping. Yeah, yeah. But also what is happening now? Well, said as men, there must be no bail given to a perpetrator. Many of the perpetrators, they commit the same crime. He was arrested for rape, and then he's given bail. Tomorrow he rapes, maybe kills the victim. There's no consequence for actions. There's no consequence action. So it goes down to repercussions for, for yes. actions, for crimes that are committed. Yes. We are unfortunately running out of time now on the show. So in closing today's conversation, could you please share a few words of wisdom or inspiration that you'd like to pass on to young ladies and women across the continent that are listening to us? Uh, thank you, Doug. Uh, what, what I would say to young women out there, they must never give up. It is never impossible. It can never be impossible till it is done. Uh, lastly, uh, what I can say is that young women, in fact all women, have to know that for them, they have to work twice hard than their male counterparts for them to be recognized. So working normally for them is not an option. We've got hard work. We've got perseverance, never giving up as being some of the critical factors for, for success moving forwards. Yes. And for them to unlock their full potential, they must overcome self-doubt. That's the last word, you know? Yes. As, as a Christian, there is um, Joshua, chapter 1, verse 9. I, I really like these words. I, I always uh, uh, read them. 
be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Very important words. Thank you for that powerful message. Thank you. Thank you. But thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time, your your insights into being a, a chairperson of Portfolio Committee for Public Works and Infrastructure, as well as the work that you've been doing in the gender space. So thank you so much. Thank you. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective on frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band. And we have been talking to Ms. Nolita Intumbungwana, Member of Parliament and Chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on Public Works and Infrastructure in the National Assembly of Parliament. Mm-hmm.